you know, this was my first archival film. So this was a completely new thing for me. Um, I was excited because it was my first film in English. I was like, oh, this is going to be a breeze. <laughs> um, never regretted a phrase more. <laughs> and it's like DVR, DVC, oh, like every, every kind of form. Everything under the sun. <laughs> DVDs, VHS, VHS. DVDs of VHSs, of mini DV tapes. Like, yeah, like the, the, the formats were insane. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> And, um, you know, excited and terrified and, you know, it felt like drowning in honey. Welcome to Bitch Talk. I'm your host, Aaron, here with my co-host, Ange, a.k.a. Captain Party, and our producer, Shar. And over the last 10 years, we've been elevating marginalized voices through interviews and events. Sometimes over a glass of whiskey. But if you're thirsty for more bitches, find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. A big thank you to 48 Hills and our listeners for voting us Best of the Bay Best Podcast in 2022. And now, on with the show. We are still at South by Southwest. We are with the director of the documentary film, It's Only Life After All, Alexandria Bomback. Uh, the film is about the Indigo Girls, who we are now instant fans of, and we'll get into that later. But can you introduce this documentary to our audience, please? Wow, yeah. Hi, everybody. It's Only Life After All is about the Indigo Girls. Um, I was really lucky to make this film where they came to the table and were incredibly authentic about their experience over the last you know, 40 years, um, being just one of the most iconic folk rock bands in the States, for sure. And also queer icons and incredible representation for activism and as activists. And the film is about their journey. And a lot of it um, really gets into their emotional growth and their experience, you know, as humans, first and foremost. Yeah. And of, of course, we've always known of the Indogo Girls. I know their most popular songs, but I was like, for some reason, they just were never at the forefront. And you explain in the film, it's because nobody ever writes about them. Nobody ever puts them on the cover of magazines. Nobody's ever playing them often. And um, so I, I would love to find out for you as a filmmaker, was it hard for you to get this film on the ground for those same reasons? Well, they are a massive, massive band. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's. I think they're a household name name definitely um but i think they did face a lot of people not wanting to put them on radio shows or you know it was it was facing a lot of sexism and a lot of homophobia mm -hmm. and then again with you know being very political and um activists in a time where that was not necessarily seen as cool and they were practicing a lot of intersectionality before people even had any idea how to do that or was on their consciousness by partnering with Winona LaDuke and um, founding Honor the Earth, you know, in the early 90s, mm -hmm. um, really putting first and foremost prioritizing indigenous activism and, and becoming a a, a bridge and a facilitator of those voices and passing the mic and, and not making themselves, you know, the center of that. Um, and so they weren't sexy in that way that, um, you know, pop culture wanted them to be the wanted women pop artists to be sexy at that time. They were completely themselves and unabashedly so, but that did, um, have consequences. Um, but the film really dives into, 
how we can redefine success for ourselves and what does it even really mean to be successful in our lives. You touched on it when you were talking about the film and introducing it, but it was really interesting how much Emily and Amy shared about their personal struggles um, with coming out, their pronouns, addiction. Um, did that organically come up or did you need to coax it out of both of them? Um, organically, yeah. Um, I'm not much of a coaxer. <laughs> um, you know, Th these films take a long time. Um, I've been working on this for five years. You know, it came out at Sundance this, uh, in January. And so it's been a long road and it's important to have that kind of time with people and then time with the story. You know, I had 50 years of archive with two people's lives to distill into a film and it's, you have to sit with it for a while. But Emily and Amy were always incredibly forthcoming. And, and they are forthcoming in person and to people in general, but we got to a different level with this film, I think, because they really trusted me, which I was honored by and terrified by that responsibility because they mean so much to so many people. They mean so much to me. So it was, it was incredible. And they're very authentic. You know, they self identify as earnest and so do I. And, um, I think it's a gift, honestly, what they were able to share with us. Mm -hmm. Well, I would love to know how you met them and how they entrusted you with this story. Yeah, I met them through Kathleen Horan, who is a friend of mine. We met at a director's retreat that the Colorado uh, Rocky, the Colorado Springs Rocky Mountain Women's Film Festival. There we go. <laughs> it's an awful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, I was going to say it's early, but it's like two o'clock. Um, <laughs> it feels early. It feels it's like fine. time change. Yeah. Two o'clock is early. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, but we met at this director's retreat and she mentioned offhand that um, to someone else across the room or something like that, that she had known and worked with the Indigo Girls for like 30 years, friends of theirs. And I was like, if you ever need me to bring coffee to you on a shoot or, you know, tie your shoes, I don't whatever you want, I'll be there. And she was like, well, I think I'd hire you for more than that. <laughs> um, and so I was in L.A. Um, in post on my last film, which was a really heavy film on her shoulders. Um, and she brought me to a show because she knew to know I needed um, a pick me up. Mm -hmm. And um, I was in the audience just bawling my eyes out and you know, I've been a fan of theirs since I was 12 and I was looking around and other people were crying too. And everyone was singing. It's like a choir when you go to those concerts and they just sell out massive venues, but and it's this massive choir for every single song and it's moving and you feel that sense of community. And then going backstage and meeting Amy and Emily, I couldn't ask them a question. They were so interested in the films I was making and what I was up to and where I was from and, you know, how many siblings I had. And like, they're so incredibly kind and authentic. And, um, you know, I don't really subscribe to having idols or heroes, but, you know, they say, don't meet your heroes. And you're always a little nervous when you're about to meet someone who means something to you. Um, and they just blew me away. And I think they've been, you know, having that effect on people for a really long time. And um, I immediately looked at my phone um, when Emily wasn't looking to see if anyone had ever made a documentary about them because I hadn't remembered them ever making one. And come to find out there hadn't been and, you know, asked Kathleen about it and found out that they really had always kind of turned it down because they didn't want to be pigeonholed like yet again. And my last film really 
took a hard look at um, activism and our commodification, especially women survivors um, at the UN and in media. And they saw that and really appreciated that approach um, and trusted me to tell the story. Technically, if I can ask you about archival footage. So you were lucky to have all of the <laughs> archival footage yes. that they've collected along the way. But as the storyteller and director, where do you edit that archival footage? Like what is on the floor and what do you keep in? Does the story dictate it or does the archival footage dictate it? Yeah, Um you know, this was my first archival film. So this, um, everything else I made is, uh, more verite in the moment following someone or a group of people for three months. And then we tell that story. Um, so this was a completely new thing for me. Um, I was excited because it was my first film in English. I was like, Oh, this is going to be a breeze. <laughs> um, never regretted a phrase more. <laughs> and then you um, get a thousand hours of archival footage. Yeah, it's just, you know, I didn't know it was coming at first. <laughs> Amy didn't let that on until, you know, midway through production. She's like, by the way, I have this basement. Oh, and halfway it's like, through production? I'm sorry. I'm just picturing that <laughs> yeah, scene yeah. of all of the, okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, And it's like DVR, DVC, oh, like every, every kind of form. Everything under the sun. <laughs> DVDs of VHSs of mini DV tapes like yeah like the 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 formats were insane but but she I mean I was you know I respected that she didn't tell me for a bit she was trying to see if I was gonna do it and you know true to my word I guess and 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 so she opened up this hidden door in her basement and I was like (laughs) oh shit and um you know excited and terrified and you know it felt like drowning in honey you're like maybe mm. i should go back to the portuguese films yeah, yeah or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> go back to afghanistan um but it it was it was exciting and you know there's so much fun opportunity storytelling wise in archive you know it's something that is shot not with the intention of being in whatever you're making. Mm-hmm. And there's so much, obviously, but it, it, like that lends to so many kind of creative corner, the corners that you're painted into that make you think about things in new ways. And those limitations are interesting. Um, that being said, there was so much good stuff. It was a nightmare because it was, I, it really could have been, it could have been an episodic thing. And at one point I like, you know, I remember like just crying on the floor and being like, this is not a movie. This is episodic. <laughs> um, it's too much stuff. And it's a rich history. This is not a mm-hmm. band that was just like, we like music and we made some songs that everybody likes. These, these, they mean so much to so many people. They've like, no one says, you know, the Rolling Stones saved my life. They say mm-hmm. the Indigo Girls saved my life. Right. And that's a real, and I say that like they have saved my life t- twice now. You know, so it's, there's so much there, like who they are and what they've overcome and how they navigated that, like their, um, authentic, authenticity and their, and their morals and their ethics and just how they stay true was, is something to be admired. Um, and so really what I, how I navigated all that footage was trying to find that arc of, of their, personal stories. I didn't go into this wanting to make a tent pole um, recreation of all these different events in their lives. Um, a lot of 
music docs do that, you know, and some rightfully so, but this is not, that wasn't right for them. You know, it needed to be more about their personalities and, and the journeys that they took emotionally. So I just focused on these big moments that they were talking about in the interview of experiences that they had and and found things to, um, you know, fill in those spaces in between. Yeah. I, I, in my first question, I, I didn't mean to make them sound like they were a small band. I think I'm just more upset that I never caught on to them at a younger age. Oh, yes. And yeah, because afterwards we were like, damn, they're incredible. And um, I watching the, the film, you just kind of fall in love with their humility mm-hmm. and how grounded they are. And they're constantly like, this isn't just about us, right? Like they just are so aware that it's just so much bigger than just one band or, or these two people. Um, so uh, it seems like at one point you kind of sat a chair down and just interviewed concert goers. Um, can you talk about speaking with the fans and I'm sure they seem like they have fans that all would love to sit down for half an hour and talk about what they mean to them. They, yeah, they did. Um, and, and that was incredible. That started because Eric Stoll, who's an incredible director and editor, editor, they happened to be filming at the end of one of the concerts that we were, um, filming at. And then a a fan that they were waiting for the set lists, to be given out and they and Eric just started talking to them and they were telling stories and Eric got really excited and I was like god we really should just sit down and put down a chair and just interview fans you know in our and in between times when we can't be filming and um and I was and I never really I never wanted to film or interview famous people talking about famous people. Um, that's my least favorite kind of way to tell a story. Because it, really, if you look at the root of where that comes from, either you have someone who's not being fully transparent about their experience, so you kind of have to fill in the gaps, um, which is totally understandable. And sometimes that person's not even alive, so you have to tell the story in that way. Um, but Sometimes it really is to kind of sell the doc, like, you know, like, look, Mick Jagger's in this film, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I didn't want to do that. That didn't feel, they're so authentic and, and really community based and having incredible fans and, and just, you know, putting famous people in for the sake of it felt so disingenuous. And, um, so I knew I didn't want to do that, but I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if the people you're actually hearing from are fans and how, and you, so you're getting a sense of how much they mean to people. Um, so that was the start of it. And then I discovered fan footage in the archive of, you know, MTV interviewing people in the <laughs> yes. early nineties and the late eighties. And so that those are little inserts there and well, as well. And then we capped it off with interviewing people, you know, post pandemic and just how much it meant to come back and be in community again after, you know, an immense period of isolation. And a lot of this film is about at the core, this film is about community. So Mm -hmm. that, that felt important. Um, you had two of the stars from the Righteous Gemstones. I didn't know famous. they were famous, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> I interviewed them, and I thought they were so freaking cute and hilarious. They're so lively. I know, and I was like, God, these these women are amazing. I and I, you know, and then went home and I think a few months later binged Righteous Gemstones, and I was like, God, these that woman looks so familiar. <laughs> 
And then um, Candace, actually, the redheaded gal, she actually lives in Santa Fe, where I'm. I live, and she's a friend of a friend of mine. Oh. And I saw her at a park, and I was like, <laughs> "That lady looks so familiar." And then I went back to the edit. I was like, she's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is just too much. I can't wait till she sees it. Um, I, I, I'm like debating whether to send her a link or just like surprise her at a festival. I don't know. Mm. You both live in Santa Fe. Just go over to the house. I, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a little creepy. With but a bottle of wine, yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 Okay, send yeah. her a link and then bring wine. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> but I'm excited for her to see it because her laugh is literally a cue in the film. It's like, <laughs> it's an it was really cute. Um, last thing uh, I want our audience to know is just about um, a call to action to their nonprofit. Do you mind just plugging their nonprofit and, and what people can do? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Just go to the website for Honor the Earth. Um, they're doing so much. What's incredible about Honor the Earth is they've had so many programs over the years and really focusing on grassroots activism, which I really admire. Um you know, I think we can lose a lot of steam when it comes to activism. I mean, my last film really took a hard look at advocacy work and how, and, and honestly, it was I was incredibly disheartened after making that film, um, just how difficult it is um, to find especially social just, ju- justice for people. Um, but making this film has given me a completely new lease on my activism life because of their the work at Honor the Earth and the the approach that Amy and Emily take, especially as white people, and how they show up in these spaces. And it's just I admire them so much. And and they've been doing it, you know, forever. For this is their 30th anniversary of Honor the Earth right now. And the the funds that they raise um, go to grassroots organizations doing the work on the ground. People that Winona and Amy and Emily meet, um, their organization, everyone is fantastic in their organization, meet people in different regions and they know they're doing the work. And, um, and those grassroots efforts, you know, they need people would need these organizations to just recognize that so they don't have to do like the massive fundraising. And, you know, it's so hard to, to, to do all the aspects of what you need to do to get stuff done. But yeah, please support Honor the Earth. There's, they're always doing really fun stuff too, like concerts and shows and, um, and just great efforts. Um, Winona Duke is just such a powerhouse and like, God, that is a doc I really hope someone makes. Um, because she's just incredible. But yeah, please support Honor the Earth. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. We've been speaking with director Alexandria Bombeck of the documentary It's Only Life After All about the Indigo Girls. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Oh man, thanks for having me. It's a blast. Thanks for joining us on today's show. You can find more information about this episode in our show notes. If you're missing us, you can visit us at bitchtalkpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter and buy us a cup of coffee. Did you know we're also on the radio? You can find us at bff.fm. And lastly, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All the cool bitches are doing it.
podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.